as, as we have sung our songs today, every one of them has had the theme of Christ and uh, his work for us and his call to us. And I do pray that, that as we come to the word again now that our hearts uh, would be captivated by that truth and that we would make Jesus uh, the priority in our lives. Mark 1, 1 again says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, the Son of God. As we begin this series today, uh, honestly, it's something that I have been very excited over because I've actually never preached through a gospel before. I've never taught through a gospel, and there, there was part of me that was always intimidated to do it. I'm excited to do it, and I'm intimidated to do it. I'm excited because the gospels are foundational to our beliefs in the person of Jesus Christ. If we did not have the gospels, our faith would be very difficult to nail down in some regards because we would have no historical record of this man who actually came and lived. But we do have a historical record. We have four of them, in fact, that outline for us the life that Christ lived, the love that he had, and it points us uh, to his heart time and time again. And it reminds us that he is the central theme of everything that has been written about in the Bible. As the song we just saying a few minutes ago said, Christ the story, his the glory, alleluia, amen. From Genesis to Revelation, the theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ and the work that he would accomplish on our behalf. In the Old Testament, he was promised and prophesied about. And the extent of his work for us is described for us through the epistles. And he's revealed as reigning and coming again in Revelation. But in the Gospels, this is where we see our Savior face to face. This is where we see how he acted, how he loved, how he lived, the character and, and integrity he had. And it's in the Gospels that you're really able to fall in love with Jesus. Why? Because it's the Gospels that show us his heart. It shows us his love for the world. It shows us his love for us. And so that's why I'm excited. I'm intimidated by jumping into the Gospels for two reasons. One, I don't want to get it wrong. But that's true of every time I preach the Bible. I don't want to get it wrong. Every time I stand up to open the Word of God, I'm intimidated. Why? Because I don't want to ever point people in the wrong direction. And if I mess up the Gospels, guess what? Then I have pointed people in the wrong direction completely. So I'm intimidated in that regard. I'm also intimidated because everybody is so familiar with the Gospels. Mark's Gospel, there's only 7% of, of the content in Mark's Gospel that is original to him. That means if you read Matthew, which is mostly, uh, mo most similar to Mark, or if you read Luke, uh, then you're going to see the same stories over and over again because they're the synoptic gospels, basically saying they're sharing the same message, the same stories, but in a different way with a few different details. And so there's an, there's an issue sometimes that arises when people are familiar with things. And what is that? Complacency. I've heard these stories. I know these truths. But I pray that as we journey through the gospel of Mark, that that would not be our attitude, that we would come with a desire week in and week out to hear what the Bible has to say. I've got four things I want to encourage you in uh, as we go through the gospel of Mark, read ahead and read behind. What does that mean? You know where we're going, next chapter, next verse. So read ahead, but also keep reading behind you up to the point where we are. Why? Because the more you familiarize yourself with the Gospels, the more the Gospels make sense. You'll connect things that maybe you never connected before. The second thing I want to encourage you in is bring your Bible to church. Um, this sounds silly, right? Bring your Bible to church. Why? I know we have it on our phones, and, and many of you are technologically savvy. You can take notes in your phone. For me, there's something special about having a Bible in my lap. 
I like to underline things. I like to highlight things. And so bring your Bible to church so that you can see what my words, as I read them from my Bible, that they are in your Bible as well. So bring your Bible to church. The third thing is bring a notebook. I got a new notebook uh, this, this week for the Gospel of Mark that I'm going to put all my notes in as I study through it. I was encouraged to hear several of you text me and say, hey, I got a new notebook for the Gospel of Mark. Do you know what's going to happen if you come to the services as we go through the Gospel of Mark? When, you're com- when we complete in Mark chapter 16, do you know what you're going to have? You're going to have a notebook that is basically a commentary on what? The Gospel of Mark. Isn't that cool that you have your own notes that God has worked in your heart in and through as we go through this gospel together? So bring a notebook. These are not things you have to do, just encouragements. The fourth thing is share your findings with me. What does that mean? I love to discuss the scriptures, and I love it when people email me and say, hey, I was thinking about this in the passage you were in. Or when they stop me at the door and say, hey, what do you think about this? I love seeing things from different perspectives. I'm one person. I read several books as I study through. But many times you have come up to me and given me a different perspective that I haven't had before. So don't be intimidated. Even if we disagree, guess what? We're probably still going in the same direction pointing to Jesus. So share your findings with me. As Matthew takes us back uh, to Abraham and as Luke takes us back to Adam and as John takes us back to God at the beginning of their Gospels, we see that Mark is very different in that he just starts running towards the cross. From the moment Mark begins to write, his writings are about the suffering servant who came to minister to the world. And so as we go through Mark's gospel, we're going to see that it's a fast-paced book, but it's pointing continually to the cross. A couple of highlights in the book of Mark by way of introduction. Mark captures the activity of Jesus. And so in Matthew's gospel, we have a lot of teachings, right? We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have many discourses that, that Jesus takes us through. In Mark's gospel, he focuses less on the words of Christ and more on the works of Christ. These are the things that Christ did. I was blown away to learn that in Mark's gospel, the word immediately is used 41 times. What does that mean? That Mark is revealing to us the fast-paced nature of the ministry of Christ, but it's also revealing to us the urgency that Christ lived with. Folks, is there a reason to live with urgency in our world today? There is. Why? Because Jesus is coming again. And as Mark's gospel is written to us, it describes this idea of Jesus continually going from place to place. We know that he had some downtime, but Mark reveals to us that he lived with an intensity and with an urgency, and it should encourage us to do the same. Many have surmised that Mark 10.45 is the key verse to the whole book, and I like this idea. And the verse says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wouldn't that be a good theme verse for each of our lives? That we don't come to church simply to be ministered to for what we can get out of it, but we come to church, why? To give our lives to the word of God, to give our lives to the people of God, and then we live with that mindset as we leave this place. And so as we're going to cover Mark 1, 1 this morning, I pray that, that we would understand that this verse serves as both the title of the book but also the summary of its contents. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The big idea this morning is this. Mark is going to give us two solid truths that should serve as guideposts for our entire lives. 
If we lose sight of either of these truths, we are sure to find ourselves wandering away from the truth and being taken captive by lies. And so I pray this morning that as we look at verse 1, that our hearts would be stirred for the message that Mark wrote as God inspired him to do so, and that we would allow it to affect our lives on a daily basis. The first thing we see in verse 1 of Mark's gospel is this. Mark reveals that this message is good news. Mark reveals that this message that he is getting ready to write down is good news. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we understand the word gospel, we only always seem to associate that with the idea of Jesus. Why? Because he is the greatest good news. But as Mark was writing to the Romans, they would have understood this word gospel in a different sense. Not good news about a savior who was coming, but good news that would have to do with some government official or some emperor that was coming onto the scene. The birth of somebody important. That's what they would understand as gospel. And so when Mark uses this word gospel, he does so intentionally to capture the minds of the Roman readers that they would understand that this is good news, but it's not about an emperor. It's not about a government official. It's not about some other person who was a mere human that had ever been born. But this good news is about Jesus Christ. And church, can we agree today that as it was good news then, it is still good news today. Mark reveals that this message is good news. It's good news for those who are down and out. It's good news for those who have been abandoned and abused and left to die by other people in this world. It's good for those who have been neglected. Why? Because the message of the gospel is a message of hope to all who will believe in the name of Jesus. I had a conversation with somebody this week, and he, I thought we were aligned in some things. And as he began to talk, I, I was very quickly aware that, that we were not aligned at all. He began to speak of people in a way, honestly, that I had never heard somebody speak of other people before. This guy is, is well-to-do. He's, he's got money that blows my mind. He has education that blows my mind. And as he began to speak of people, one person in particular, he said, this person is just stupid. This person is no more than white trash. They'll never accomplish anything. And he put himself on one level and he put this other person on another level. But do you know what the Bible says? That Jesus came for those who are on this other level. That he came for those who the world would discredit and discount. The world would say they're useless or they're worthless. That's who Jesus came for. And so while the world looks at people and they put them in classes, friends, there's truly only one class of people. And what is that class? People who need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't worry, the person I'm talking about is not here. So stop looking around the room. They don't even live in this state, so don't worry about it. But it struck me. It struck me how, how humans sometimes will elevate themselves and cast down other people. And what they're missing in that moment is that we are all in need of the same good news. And it's the gospel of Jesus. And so Mark reveals this for us. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Mark used this word gospel, he's indicating that there is some good news that needs to be delivered to all of the world. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
I found it interesting that as Mark begins his gospel by talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, he ends his gospel by revealing that the disciples went and carried this good news to the world. In Mark 16, 20, it says, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, Amen. Mark says, I'm going to write to you about the good news. And what do we see the disciples do at the end of Mark's gospel? Taking the good news to the world. Friends, do we believe the gospel is good news? We do. Has the gospel changed your life? If you have trusted Christ, it has. And so I would ask us, are we approaching this message as good news in relation to taking it to other people? Mark says this is the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is good news to all who will hear these words. Mark's gospel is not a fairy tale message, but it's a life-giving message. It's not a fading or fleeting message, but it's an eternal message. And truthfully, Mark's gospel is not an optional message, but it's the only message that truly gives hope, and it's the only message that should come from our lips. As I studied, I was wondering to myself, why was Mark so passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And who is this Mark anyways? Well, we would know Mark by John Mark. We would know him as one who traveled with Paul and Barnabas on a missions trip. We would know uh, him as one who, at one point in his life, abandoned the mission trip because of whatever was going on in his life. And it caused a lot of contention between two great heroes of the faith, Barnabas and Paul. But we also know at the end of Paul's life that he said Mark was profitable for him again. And that's what the gospel does. It takes people who are fickle in their faith at times and people who have no hope and have no life beyond this life and it transforms them to be profitable, not just in an earthly sense, but in an eternal sense. Where did Mark learn this truth? Well, it seems that when Jesus lived on the earth, most people believed that Mark would have been a teenager. That as Jesus was performing his miracles, there were times where he possibly got a glimpse of this Jesus, maybe in a teaching or maybe in some works that he performed. But what struck me in studying for this message was I want you to turn to Mark, or I'm sorry, Acts 12 with me, and we'll see a little bit about this guy named Mark. In Acts chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, the Bible says this. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. This is speaking of when Peter was in prison. James had had died. Herod was angry against Christians. And he was doing everything he could to stop the message of Jesus from being preached. And so Peter's thrown in prison. And in verse number 7 it says, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him. And a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off. From his hands. Imagine being Peter in this moment. An angel hits you on the side and says, Hey, get up. We've got some place to go. In verse number eight, it continues and says, The angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not uh, that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So in this moment, Peter has been woken up by an angel. He's been told to put his shoes on by an angel. He's been told to grab his garment by an angel. And the angel says, hey, I want you to follow me. And all the while, Peter is thinking, I must have eaten some bad pizza last night because this can't be real, right? What's what's happening right now doesn't seem legitimate. 
And so in verse 10, it continues and says, And when they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, that means Peter woke up and realized that he really was out of prison. He said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together, praying. So we must understand that at this point in Mark's life, he was probably a late teenager. He had seen, he had heard, he had witnessed other people being passionate about this Jesus, but maybe he was still on the fence. And as they're gathered in Mark's mom's house, they're gathered for a specific reason. And what was that reason? To pray for Peter as he was in jail. Maybe Peter was praying, or I'm sorry, maybe Mark was praying skeptically. Maybe Mark didn't really know if God was going to come through and actually save Peter. We understand that was kind of the sentiment of the group because as Peter knocks on the door, a girl named Rhoda goes to the door and she recognizes the voice of Peter. She goes back to the group and says, hey, Peter's outside the door. And what do they say? Rhoda, you're crazy. Peter's in jail. We're praying for him to be released from jail. He can't be at the door. But what does Peter do? He consistently knocks on the door. Rhoda opens the door, and Peter comes into them, and they're amazed. Peter has to tell them, you guys got to quiet down, because they are going to be searching for me high and low, because I'm supposed to be in prison. And they celebrate together, and then I want you to jump down to verses 24 and 25. As the scene kind of wraps up, the Bible says, but the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Do you think Peter's life, or I'm sorry, Mark's life was transformed in the moment that he saw Peter released from prison? Something took place. Because when Mark saw that Peter was free, it wasn't long after that Mark said what? I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to take the gospel, the good news, with these two men, and we are going to go and share it with everyone that we come in contact with. Something happened in his life where he realized that the message of Jesus was the best news that could ever be preached. And when God touched his heart, what did he do? He said, I'm going to serve Jesus. Friends, do you understand that that when we trust Christ as our Savior, That the thing that takes place in Acts 12 is the very thing that's supposed to take place in our lives as well. That we see God do a miraculous work and that our desire is to what? Take that news to those around us. Why? Because Mark reveals to us that this message is good news. Mark gave his life for this good news. You say, Mark messed up. So have you and so have I. Mark abandoned uh, Paul and Barnabas. Guess what? That was a part of his life, not the total of his life. And I don't know where you are in your life right now. Maybe you're in that moment where you are seeing the good news for the first time and you are blown away. Praise God, stay in that moment, moment, but let God also propel you from that moment. 
Maybe you're at a moment in your life where you have abandoned some of the things that you've said you believe. Maybe it's, it's not, not even abandoning your beliefs, but just not living out your beliefs. Can I encourage you wherever you are to go back to this truth that the message of Jesus is good news. It's good news for you and it's good news for me. It's good news for the world. And so Mark goes on this missions trip with Paul and Barnabas. Somehow something happens. Mark leaves them. It causes a lot of contention. But it's encouraging to me that Mark was profitable to Paul at the end of Paul's life. But guess who else Mark was profitable for? God. Because Mark was willing to sit down and write this message that we still read to this day. And why does he write it? Because the message of Jesus is good news. That's the first point. Mark reveals that the message is good news. Secondly, Mark reveals that this message is worthy of our attention. Back in Mark 1, 1, if I can find it, I was there all the time. Mark 1, 1, again it says, the message at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark reveals that this message is worthy of our attention. So Mark tells us it's good news, and he tells us it's worthy of our attention. And as we think of those two things together, that really is the basis of every marketing scheme ever, right? I've got good news for you, and you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. If you're trying to tell, sell somebody something, you're never going to go up to them and say, hey, what I'm selling is, is, is not good at all, and it, it's not worthy of any of your attention. Why? Because that's not good sales gimmicks, right? You want to convince people that what you have is good and that what you have is worthy of their attention, and that's what Mark does here. You see, there were many people in Mark's day who were saying they had good news. The government alone, the Roman government, as Mark was writing to the Romans, would have said that they've got good news for the world to listen to as they conquered and overcame other nations and other cities. But Mark says, no, my message is good news and it deserves to be paid attention to because of the authority that it comes with and because of the authority that it comes from. How do you get that? Well, what does Mark say this message is is about? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's not just the gospel of Jesus, some good guy who lived, but this is the Son of God. And so so Mark is showing the divine nature of Jesus Christ, that he wasn't just a good teacher, that he wasn't just a good man, that he wasn't somebody who was coming to bring political relief from the oppression they were in. He was bringing a message from God himself, and it deserves to be paid attention to. Friend, do you believe that's true today? We often say that the Bible is the Word of God, but how often do we actually live like the Bible is the Word of God? It's an authoritative message, and Mark wanted these people to understand that. This phrase, the Son of God, is one that Mark uses a couple of different times. In Mark 3.11 and Mark 5.7, we see that the demons recognize Jesus as the Son of God. In Mark chapter 15 and 39, a Roman soldier, a centurion, understood this truth. And he said, surely this is or was the Son of God. You see, Mark's playing this theme throughout the book as he's calling people to understand that a demon understands that Jesus is the Son of God. And a corrupt Roman soldier understood that Jesus was the Son of God. And as he starts his gospel with this truth, he's calling us to understand what? That Jesus is the Son of God. 
this shows the authoritative message uh, that Jesus preached and that Jesus lived. And as Mark wrote this down, as God inspired him to give these words to future generations, we understand that it was believed that Jesus was not a good man, just a good man, but that he was indeed the Son of God. And so friends, if the gospel is going to have an impact on us, if Jesus is going to have an impact on us, if the Bible is going to have an impact on us, then we must understand that it comes with great authority because it comes from God himself. And why could Jesus do what he did in the Gospels? Because he was the Son of God. Why can Jesus offer hope and life and healing to a world that is broken and lost and in torment? Because he is the Son of God. And so as much as it was for them to pay attention back then, this heading, the Son of God, it is for us to pay attention as well that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark reveals that we need to pay attention to this Jesus because he is the Son of God, the promised one, the Lamb, the Lion, the Holy One, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Son of God, the Beloved One, the Teacher, the Prophet, the Lord, the Son of David, and the King. He deserves our attention and he deserves that we point others to him. And this is exactly what Mark was doing as he started his gospel. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I wonder today, do we give the gospel of Jesus, the attention that it deserves. Many get hung up on many lesser things in the Bible. I'm not saying they're unimportant things. But when it comes to the top thing of top things to pay attention to in the Bible, understand it is Jesus only. Jesus only. Jesus only. Why? Because he is the theme of every page. He is the theme of every writing. And we must give him our attention. Why? Because he deserves it. And why does he deserve it? Because he is the Son of God. Church, do you believe that today? Then I would encourage us to live it. To live like our Savior is truly God in the flesh. And you know what the significant thing about Jesus being the Son of God is? is that in his sonship, he invites all who come to him by faith to partake in that sonship. That we, through faith in Christ alone, become joint heirs with who? With Jesus Christ. That we'll spend eternity with him. Why? Because he has the power to give abundant eternal life. And so these two truths need to be guideposts, not only for the book of Mark as we start studying it together, but they need to be guideposts for every day of our lives, that the gospel is good news and that the gospel of Jesus demands our attention. And so as we make our way through these these pages, I don't know how long it's going to take. With a, a smaller book, sometimes I'll sit down and map it out. I don't know. We're going to be here till we're not here anymore. Does that make sense? We're going to study verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Why? Because that's what the Word of God deserves us to do. To see on every page what God has for us. To see on every page how God is seeking to shape us and make us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Who here would say that you are not fully sanctified yet? Then let's give our time and attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark so that we can collectively be made into the image of Jesus Christ. Two questions as we close. The first one is this. Do you believe the message of the gospel of Jesus? Friend, if you're here today 
and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, understand this, that Jesus is the only message of hope. You may be striving to make it to God. You may be working through your own efforts to appease a wrathful God. Understand this, that there is only one thing that can appease the wrath of God, and it is the person of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a book the other day, and they were giving an illustration of how Christ is our safety, and they were talking about a forest fire. And you know where the safest place to be in a forest fire is? In a portion of the forest that has already burned. Do you know where the safest place to be, spiritually speaking, is? In the one who has already experienced the wrath of God. Friend, have you you met Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted him? It's not about a head knowledge. It's not acknowledging that a historical figure lived many years ago, but it's about understanding that Jesus died in your place and in mine so that we could receive forgiveness of sins and be justified and have hope of eternal life. If you're trusting in any other message but the gospel of Jesus, then at the end of your life, at the end of your life, going back to Matthew 25, you will be in the goat's, who are sent off to everlasting destruction that was prepared for the devil and his angels. But if by faith, as the Spirit prompts you, you come to him, then you will enter into life eternal. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We're going to sing in a few minutes, friends, and if if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, will you trust him today? Will you come by faith, understanding your sinfulness in understanding his righteousness and place your faith in him. So do you believe the message of the gospel of Jesus? The second question is this. Are you paying attention, am I paying attention, to what Jesus has said? You see, there's an unfortunate truth in broader evangelical circles that once Jesus saves us, then the rest doesn't really matter. And unfortunately, that's a lie. Because the rest of your life does matter. The way that you live does matter. As we said last week, holiness still matters. A walk of righteousness is still something that God desires from his children. The awesome news is is that when you're saved, God enables you to live that righteous life through his spirit. So it's not works that you're conjuring up on your own, but it's works that flow from you yielding to the spirit of God. Does it take dedication and discipline? Absolutely, 100%. But those works ultimately don't flow from your efforts. They flow from the one who has changed you. So I would ask us today, are, are we paying attention to what Jesus said. Are we living out his life? You see, we, we never want to be guilty of, of dismissing the word of God because we don't like what it says. Never. If, if my kids, if I tell them to do something and they say, well, I didn't do it, and I ask why, sometimes they might have a good reason. I was sick. I ended up in the hospital. Well, if you ended up in the hospital as my kid, I'm probably going to know that, right? I'm not going to be too upset about you not doing what you were supposed to do. But if if I ask my kids, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? And they simply said, I didn't want to. Well, then that's a whole different story. And as children of God, it's not about, (laughs) it's not about, the word of God is not true based on our feelings towards it. The word of God is true 
and we're called to live it out through the power of the Spirit. And so are we paying attention to what the Word of God says? Two truths to guide us. As we sing in just a moment, something I used to say a lot, and I want to get back into saying it, is this. As we sing, I pray that we would spend some time to reflect on what the Word of God has said and respond to what the Word of God has said. Because if all we do is sit here, and we hear it, and we take it in, and we soak it up, but we never do anything with it, then we should have stayed home and watched TV. So let's reflect, and let's respond. You say, well, I'm not going up front. I don't care if you come up front. Responding doesn't mean kneeling at an altar. Responding means taking the Word of God and applying it to your life as the Spirit leads. So let's reflect together as we sing, and let's respond together as we go out. Dave, would you come and lead us in a song? God, we thank you for this time that we can gather. I pray that you would use your word this morning to do a great work in us through your spirit, God, that we would be made into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. God, if there's any here today who have never trusted Christ as their Savior, I do pray that today they would come to this realization that they need you. In fact, God, you're the only one who can save them through your son. I pray that that you would work in their hearts. God, for the rest of us, I pray this morning that our desire would be to live out what the Word says. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word who deceive our own selves, but that we would be hearers and doers of the Word. That your righteousness would flow through us in the world that we live in. We thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We pray that you give us a great rest of our day. Bring us back safely tonight as we study your Word one more time. And may it be done for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray.